the woman at the well, and, and sort of a teaching there with her one-on-one. -on -one. In Matthew's gospel, they go up to the top of a mountain. Jesus is teaching at the top of the mountain, and he's going to tell everybody almost a geography lesson. Hey, if you want to follow me, this is where we're going to go. Let's go down the mountain and follow me. In Luke's gospel, Jesus comes down from the mountain and teaches at a plain, telling everybody, um, and the way Luke describes Jesus is, I'm going to get down and dirty on the plain with you all. In Mark's gospel, we find Jesus teaching with authority going into a synagogue. It gives us an insight of how Mark sees Jesus. One with authority, one quickly teaching, going from one spot to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. As we enter our gospel reading this morning, I invite you to listen to God's word. Again, this is Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as scribes. Just then there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Friends, is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The title of the editors of the NRSV translation, that is the one in your pews and the one I read from, title these verses, The Man with an Unclean Spirit. I'm not against titles. It's just, well, titles... Titles can suffocate the truth. Uh, titles mislead us to think renaming a thing tells us everything about that thing. Titles tend to domesticate and tame good stories until they become easily mundane and impotent. And titles. Titles can make us lazy. But a title can never cage the teachings of Jesus. In Mark's gospel, Jesus begins his ministry in a synagogue. But we find out quickly, Jesus will not be managed or manipulated. The title, the man of the unclean spirit, sends us, the reader, looking for answers to questions that the gospel of Mark, well, isn't really interested in addressing. The title misdirects Mark's focus onto a man possessed with an unclean spirit, onto the unclean spirit itself, with Mark never chooses, not once does not choose to focus on either, not even the exorcism that he created. Instead, Mark focuses on Jesus' teaching. Pay attention. How often in those short verses, the word teach or taught is used. Mark's gospel, the shortest of all four gospels. Mark does not have a segment, as we just said, uh, like Matthew, where Jesus goes up to the top of a mountain to teach, or like Luke, who teaches in the plains. Instead, Mark's gospel, 
gives us Jesus and a consummate teacher, distinguishing himself from all the others in the synagogue. Because the scripture says, Jesus teaches with authority. And right there in Jesus' first public ministry, the conflict until Jesus' crucifixion is laid out right there in front of us. Whose teaching has divine authority? Is it the leaders of the synagogues and all the religious parties in Jerusalem? Or does Jesus? Now, if we're here today, I would imagine we would all confess Jesus does. We all, and because we all know that pastors and ruling elders, and I'm sorry for those that are getting ready to be installed or ordained, and all the other church leaders really have no authority whatsoever. Uh, no. We are just doing the best that we can to follow Jesus, just like each and every one of you are. That we all are under the impression and we all agree that Jesus has that divine authority. The conflicting question for the church in the 21st century is, what would it look like for a church to be engaged seriously and intensely with the teachings of Jesus Christ described in Mark? Let us first begin by letting the chips fall where they may. Jesus begins his ministry right here in the synagogue, never putting a label on the person that he encounters. And then he moves throughout the gospel, greeting one person after the next, after the next, refusing to put people into categories in this category or to that category, refusing to ban others who disagree with him, refusing to only sit with those who do agree with him. Instead, Jesus simply greeted everyone as a child of God. And then Jesus let the chips fall where they may. In our traditions, in our culture, in our families, in our government, even in our churches, the Presbyterians and the General Assembly, they are careful. And they have light control and they like long-range plans, and they do not particularly like chips falling all around in an unordinary way. The structure of our lives, well, we like order. We like control. So tradition tries to help us some and give this story a highly packaged yet dangerous name, the man with an unclean spirit. While this story and every story of Jesus is wonderfully complicated like the stories in the people of the church, the labeling oversimplifies this miracle and insists on something clear and coherent that can be controlled. It turns the authoritative teachings of Jesus into an amazing Jesus, a moral Jesus, a charisma Jesus. And when it does so, at the expense of so many who are dismissed today. It does so at dismissing all those that are silenced today. So many who have devolved into this world. But with Jesus, there are no labels. The whole New Testament 
Jesus, not one time, not once, gives anybody a label. With Jesus, there are no constituencies. With Jesus, one never fits all. And the stories that want to focus our attention only on those demon-possessed man can easily be misquoted and miscast to mislead us into deadly uh, thinking that we have the healthy versus the sick. And next thing we know that this um, ideas bleed into our us versus them, rich versus poor, liberal versus conservative, black versus white, south versus north, labels, 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 labels. That's no advertisement for a new political party. The truth of the matter is, life is never neatly packaged into either or boxes. And neither are people. People are impossible to label, to categorize. Not even nations are homogeneous. In churches, not everyone thinks the same. Families do not even have people who are entirely identical or entirely different. Uh, Out there in the world, there are real histories and real realities quite unlike our own. In this very room right now, there are histories and realities quite unlike our own. And yes, this complicates life together in the church and life in our communities because this is not a story about demons. This is a story about the teachings of Jesus, about Jesus walking into a synagogue, naming the truth, sharing his love, and then letting the chips fall where they may. And chips falling where they may often frightens us. Because when the love of Jesus is taught, it reaches beyond all of our well-crafted, tightly held labels that we have all created that separate us. Which leads us then to the second way for the church to be engaged seriously and intensely with the teachings of Jesus Christ. We'll have to stop ignoring the very things that separate us. And notice in the text that Jesus does not ignore the situation in the room. Jesus addresses it directly. I wonder how many demons we fail to recognize. As if we believe by not mentioning them at all, those demons will go away. Perhaps within the church, one of those is the biggest is our one's own unbelief. I wonder how often the church has lost faith in God. In hope of a a sacred force in our lives within the world, a, a faith that God can actually use other human beings to make our world a more peaceful world. I wonder how often we believe this. I wonder how often we believe that no, there there actually is no hope. No way to solve all the problems, so we just ignore them, creating tensions, putting this group against that. To follow the teachings of Jesus, we always have to recognize our own unbelief. Or better yet, our beliefs that nothing will ever change. Because springing from this fear of unbelief, comes all the ones we wish to not come. 
racism, sexism, classism, domestic violence, ideological intolerance, war, poverty, income inequality, loneliness, depression, anxiety, to name a few. And whether we're willing to name it or not, we all have felt the impact of mental health. Not only in our country, but within our communities and most of us within our own families. According to a recent study, 1 in 11 children have anxiety disorder. That figure has grown steadily over the last 20 years as social isolation, family stress, and relentless news of tragedy intensifies this problem. Our kids are telling us by ignoring the issues, the kingdom of God, or the, excuse me, the kingdom that we have created is not working for them. The challenges are not limited to our young people. 30% of the adults report recently having symptoms of anxiety disorder or depression. Like our children and like our youth, we as adults are telling one another the kingdom that we have created is not working for us either. The world is looking for a leader. What would it look like? What would it look like for the church to engage seriously with the teachings of Jesus? Perhaps we begin with naming every elephant in the room. To do so does not mean we stop there. To name these issues will be hard and, and require a lot, a lot of vulnerability. Because to name these issues out loud means that we also have to name and we also have to confess how we as a church and how we as individuals have continued to contribute to every fear that we fear to say out loud. This is why I believe that unclean spirits came out of that man convulsing and crying. This is the unclean spirit confessing the love of Jesus. The good news, the good news of this is that we are prepared to confess. This is who we are. We are a confessional church. We do it every single week. We come to the baptismal font, reminding ourselves that first that we're a child of God, also reminding ourselves that we are sinful and that we confess our individual sins followed by like, collective sins. Everyone in this room, everyone in this room knows how it is to ask for forgiveness because I believe everyone in this room knows that we are sinful. And more importantly, everyone in this room yearns to be told that you are forgiven. In the story, the capital of the world, Ernest Hemingway, tells a story of a Spanish father searching for his son who ran away after a fight that he had. The father was so badly wants his beloved son to return and the, that he places in an advertisement in a local paper, El Liberal. The advertisement reads, Paco, meet me in the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. The next day at noon, arriving at the Hotel Montana, the father is astonished to see 800 young men all saying their name is Paco, standing in the line, ready to receive that forgiveness. Jesus understands this profound need. But ready or not, God is here. 
forgiving you and me and everyone in this room. Which then brings us to this third way of the church to be engaged seriously and intensely with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Ready or not, be prepared to be astonished. Outside of the word teaching, the next most used word um, in this first encounter with Jesus' ministry is amazement. They were all amazed, Scripture says. Oh, what Jesus says, set aside as a teacher, is that Jesus did not just give us more information. And that's not how Jesus taught. Jesus taught us to live the life of the kingdom of God. Sure, we call Jesus a, a good teacher. But it's more than that. He is the Holy One of God. He is God among us. And those that encountered him were astonished. As a church, we have to believe those encounters can still exist. To be moved by the presence of Jesus whose love is transforming, whose love has the power to mend our brokenness in the world, in our nations, our families, and within ourselves. Our job as a church is to look out for such times. Point to it, and then get out of the way. Early in the year, there was a high school English class studying modern drama. The class was about as excited as you would imagine about a, with a bunch of 14-year-olds studying drama. On this particular day, the exercise was to read the script of Frank Gilroy's. The subject was roses. As the reading moved to the final scene, one in which a young man named Timmy is leaving home and is attempting to say his farewell to his father, who was a stubborn and an unfeeling man. As the story was coming to an end, the class had lost interest. Uh, the reader was dutiful and lifeless. The, a boy and a girl in the back of the classroom were texting one another, and another boy looked out the window as he just watched the assistant principal move from the one building to the next. And everyone else in the class was just staring at the clock, hoping the seconds would pass by sooner than later. The last scene, Timmy's line calls for him to say to his father that he had a dream the night before, a dream that he had dreamt many times. In a dream, he is told that his, that his father is dead, and when he, he hears this news, he runs out into the streets crying. Someone stops him and asks, why are you crying? I'm crying because my father is dead. My father is dead, and my father never said that he loved me. The boy reading Timmy's part faltered a bit. He lifts up his eyes from the script. He looked directly at the teacher. And he said, my father has never said that to me either. Suddenly, the boy watching the assistant principal and everyone else in the classroom look at the teacher. What is she going to say? Electrifying silence. Filling the classroom, the teacher simply just motioned for the boy to keep reading. He began reading softly. Timmy in the play says, It's true, you never said you loved me, Dad. But it's also true that I never said those words to you. I don't know what you're talking about, the father responds. I say them now, Timmy said back. 
I love you, Pop. I love you. The boy in the class finished reading. He felt tears rolling down his eyes. And his teacher's hand gently placed on his shoulder. Far by one student, then another, then another. Speaking quietly and thoughtfully of the difficulty of expressing love. The healing power of loving another person, even when that love cannot be returned. Yes. If we engage seriously and intensely with the teachings of Jesus, be prepared. The help of Jesus and every single person in this room to love even when it can't be returned. Whatever it is that you're holding on to this morning, name it. God is here. forgiving you before you ask. Calling you beloved. Ready or not, God is loving you. Even when we can't love God in return.